Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we are going to be uh, discussing the question of, is a leadership disconnect holding field service back? Um, I'm excited to be joined today by Jason Hamm, who is the Vice President of Networks Strategic Programs at Ericsson. Jason, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you. Yes, thanks for being here. Um, so before we get into our discussion, um, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your role, anything you want to share. Um, my role is strategic programs. What does that mean? It looks at, uh, I'm looking at five to 10 year time horizon, thinking about what, uh, will be trends, trends and themes and what could be which is slightly different, uh, trying to think about opportunities to say, how do we need to transform or continually adapt uh, to continue thriving five years, 10 years out that that time horizon, working back with the organization. Uh, something about me is, um, you know, I started as an installer in telecommunications and have worked my way through a lot of different roles and positions. And uh, I find the greatest satisfaction and then uh, in leading teams, understanding individuals, uh, and then working with individuals to, to work together as a team. That's what fascinates me most. Okay. How long have you been in your current role? Only for about two, almost three years now. Okay. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, um, this idea of the time frame you're specifying five to 10 years out, right? Um, we've done a lot of content and had some different conversations about, you know, organizations obviously need to be innovating. And by that, I don't mean like incremental improvement. I mean, actual innovation, which is really what you are looking for. Like, what are those opportunities? And you know, we have had um, some conversations about how sometimes organizations expect that their operational leaders should just also put on that hat of identifying the opportunities and, you know, areas to innovate. And that's really tough, right? Because they're kind of two different hats. And that that's not to say someone can't, you know, do both or see both sides. But I think with the pace of change that we live in today, it's kind of an unrealistic expectation or unfair ask, you know, to task a leader of a business who's responsible for meeting today's expectations to also figure out, and, you know, in your free time, what should we doing, what should we be doing in, in five years? So I think it's really good that, you know, um, Erickson has invested in you know, that role specifically so that you can kind of balance uh, that out. So really cool. Um, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit today, but I know in your role, you know, you do a lot of traveling around and engaging with folks and, and really kind of taking in a lot of what today's landscape looks like and what people are kind of thinking about the future. So one of the things that we discussed is that, um, we hear a lot today about people focus, right? Um, we've had a lot of podcast conversations about, you know, we need to focus more on employee experience. We need to improve our company culture. We need to improve retention. We need to, um, you know, uh, 
lead better through change, et cetera. So there's this acknowledgement that it's important. Um, and I think you said really well that you feel most leaders have really good intentions, but there's this disconnect between those intentions and then what action is being taken to really, um, you know, treat people differently or change that experience. Um, so, you know, you said, um, uh, and I like this, uh, many leaders do more business admin than they do actually leading. Um, they're more comfortable talking about balance sheets than organizational psychology. Uh, and I think that's a really good way to to put it. So talk a little bit about, you know, what you've observed um, and how, and then, you know, what do we need to do to close that gap between the intention and the reality? Yeah, good. Um, one of the things I've, I've learned, I went uh, some years ago, I did a 52 market within the US, 52 market tour uh, I asked the business leader to put forward their top 2%, top 2%. Uh, these were technicians predominantly. Uh, and I met with those 52 markets worth of uh, top 2% technicians. And one of the questions I asked was, think about the best leader that you've ever worked for and what were the attributes? And it was just on an old school whiteboard, uh, no bad answers, et cetera. What I found fascinating was um, zero, zero said things like uh, they're a subject matter expert in technology, et cetera. Um, and one thing that was unanimous across the board was the leader gave them constructive feedback. So I think that's a fallacy that's, it's almost like an unwritten rule. All of us under cost pressures these days, that's not gonna change ever. Uh, it's it's very common for a leader to have the right intent and think about you know my my top performers. What I need to keep doing is telling them they're rock stars. That's a common word I hear all the time. You know, Jimmy or Sally, you're a rock star. You're a rock star. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for your contributions. But what I learned from those rock stars in 52 different markets, asking open questions is they're so hard on themselves. They're harder on themselves than mm -hmm. any leader ever could be they feel um, dismissed if, if they're not given some, yeah, but, but coach or leader, what can I do better? You know, even if you think about mm -hmm. professional athletes, even that are the best in the, in the game, they're constantly looking for coaching and advice on how they can be even better, you know? So I think that's one fallacy maybe for leaders to consider. Another thing I would say is, I think it's the vernacular when you say things like psychology and philosophy, um, it just feels like it doesn't fit in a business context. Mm -hmm. But if I shared with you that, you know, psychology is a study of how we do think and philosophy is a study of how we could think, then it's like, well, if you think about, especially in a services community, all we have is people. And all of a sudden mm -hmm. that kind of jumps up to the top of the list to be thinking about. So I would encourage leaders uh, to think differently. Don't be afraid of the psychology and philosophy term. Think about what's most important uh, for you to focus on. You know, your subject matter expertise as a leader is leading, coaching and developing. And that requires you to really understand people as individuals, how they think, 
how they're motivated, how they're demotivated, et cetera. So those are a couple observations I've learned over the yeah. years. Is there any other gaps you would identify thinking about sort of the disconnect between good intentions, but not, you know, actions that match those intentions? Um, design thinking is a common buzzword these days. I'm not sure which consultant firm came up with that. Uh, it's very simply thinking about who you're trying to help. I think that, uh, again, leaders, uh, I consult with a lot of uh, different folks. Leaders have the right intention. Uh, they want to get with, let's say, tower climbers or plumbers or whatever the service is and understand their problems. The reality of what that looks like is uh, it may be a crude analogy, but it's like uh, gold mining. You have to sift through a lot of dirt to find mm -hmm. those flakes of gold. And I, I genuinely believe that sometimes uh, a leader will have a preconceived idea of what the solution might look like. They ask questions and the questions typically, if you're asking the people that are working the, the, the challenge, they're not going to just articulate, you know, these are the top three things and the ROI and these, these kind of, they're not going to turn it into those kind of uh, business terms that maybe a leader will have to translate it to. So it's really uh, challenge, the challenge I would offer out there is, you know, um, really extreme immersion in design thinking, really breathing the same air, walking the same uh, shoes, and then constantly checking back to say, do I have this right? And you got to have people mm -hmm. that will speak up and tell you, no, Sarah, that's not what I said. That's not what I mean when I say mm -hmm. this. This is this is what I mean. You have to encourage that and not and really try to walk away from. And, and one of the first things to think about and consider is, I am not a reflection of the community I'm trying to help. That's a really difficult for me personally because I used to be in the field doing field services. Mm -hmm. And I like to consider myself well-grounded and I remain, you know, connected and I understand. The truth is, though, that's been a long time ago. And I, mm -hmm. I don't think like exactly like a technician thinks these days. I have a different mindset, a different perspective. So that's one of the first ways uh, and I continually have to remind myself is really understand that you do not represent your logic. with Even with your best intentions, you do not represent the people that you're trying to help. That, that helps you talk to people with a more open mind and really hear them, what they're trying mm -hmm. to say. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so there's, you know, really this big area around listening and like you said, immersion, you know, so not just surface level. Yeah, you know, we did a, um, you know, an all hands and and we did an open forum Q&A once this quarter, but really, you know, getting entrenched in the, the business and um, being exposed to, you know, what are the frontline workers thinking, struggling with, you know, what's kind of the real um, perspective. Um, okay. I like that. So one of the other areas we talked about where there's, um, you know, maybe some some disconnect and some opportunity to really evolve is around learning and development. Okay, so 
you know, you you mentioned that it's human nature for people to go after what's comfortable, right? So how how are we, I mean, I know you can't speak to every business, but when we think about learning and development, like what is that disconnect? What are we not doing that we should be or trying to do that's not really working? And what's your perspective on how we, we need to kind of uh, innovate in that area? Yep. Um, I'll tell you a quick uh, way I learned something in that, that I've traveled uh, on in this on this topic, I've traveled all over the world uh, as far as Australia, asking people from all different industries, um, field services was the common connection. And one question mm -hmm. I've asked uh, the audiences all across the, the US, other countries, including Australia, is uh, think about the best technician that you've ever worked with. And mm -hmm. just to raise a hand, shout out, shout out words that describe what made that technician the best one that you've ever worked with? And I'm a little bit fascinated when you have unanimous statistics, unanimously, not one single time all across the world, all these different groups that don't even know each other, not one single time have hard skills been brought up. So mm -hmm. uh, under you know technical knowledge or uh, you know Excel expertise or you know uh, et cetera. 100% of the time, it's been the soft skills. It's been things like mm -hmm. their ethics are second to none. I completely trust them. Their work ethic is uh, remarkable. They have insatiable curiosity. Um, they are a real team player. Anytime they learn something, they try to help the next person. Um, so what that tells me, and that's real data, like I've seen it, I've talked to all these people across the world, what that says is the most important thing as we think about, you know, developing our people, it, it mm -hmm. is the soft stuff. So that doesn't say that, mm -hmm. that whatever AI and ML and, uh, you know, machine learning and all these different cool things, those are really important for certain groups to know in certain aspects, or maybe if it's in a plumbing to really have that technical knowledge, I'm not discounting that. What I'm saying is what I've learned is the most important thing is uh finding the right talent and developing that talent further you're going to get way more roi if you want to call it that by investing in people's soft skills so when you look mm -hmm. at your lnd critical path learning etc if you find trade specific hard skill at the top and perhaps missing or way way down the priority list uh things that are behavioral check that think about that is that really Mm -hmm. Is that really the right thing to do? Um, and then the second part of your question is like, well, what do we do about it? What are, you know, without freaking people out, you know, there are a lot of behavioral personality tests. You can have uh, semi-guided, you know, some like a, basically you just take something online, you have a professional come in, they're not going to use a bunch of psychology terminology or whatever. What I've found is people absolutely are fascinated with those uh, readouts because it's not a mm -hmm. Sarah's better than Jason kind of discussion. It's like, it's a, it's a spectrum of these behavioral areas to say, here's how Sarah is and where Jason is, and here's how they might complement each other in these kind of scenarios. This is the times, these are the kind of areas where Jason would go to Sarah and lean on her for help. These are the kinds of things that cause tension between people like Sarah and Jason, et cetera. 
people are absolutely thrilled by that. And it also takes the, a lot of the emotion out of the day-to-day business where maybe I'm an extrovert and you're an introvert, for example, that's a pain point. And you just think, I wish Jason would go away. He's annoying me. He's, he's super extroverted. After having that discussion together as a team, taking your team through that, you can point to that study. You can point to that readout and just go, I, Jason, you're being a little bit of extrovert or whatever. You know, you can take some of that um, emotion out of the business. And it, it really helps with uh, teamwork, you know, camaraderie, I would say. Mm-hmm. That's just an easy example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do think that that response you got is is interesting. Um, I also would say, you know, it's in line with, what I've heard over, you know, a lot of conversations, right? Which is, um, you know, there are aspects from a soft skills perspective that certainly are trainable, right? There's also aspects that sometimes are innate that are are hard to teach. Um, whereas those technical skills, um, I think there's a general agreement that they can be taught. Right. And so how do we kind of shift from always looking for experience, um, certification, you know, these technical things versus figuring out what some of those traits are that are common among our top uh, talent and then figuring out how do we find more of that? Right. Um, I think what's also interesting, though, is, you know, how if you think about um you know, going back to, I know some people don't like to talk about psychology, maybe like you said, but I do. Um, and I think when you go back to people that have that, you know, you said insatiable curiosity, people that, you know, have that drive and that sense of ownership, et cetera, um, you know, how they need strong leadership to feel connected and engaged and to want to stay, right? So in an environment where, you know, for instance, they log on to the learning and development platform and it's all just these super technical process-based things and they're not feeling that there's an outlet for some of those traits, you know, they might not feel they have the opportunity to really utilize them in the environment where they are so that's where it's you know there's different connection points back to what is the philosophy of the leaders in the organization around people and managing those relationships and offering them you know training and development career paths etc how are we giving people that have that drive the outlet to use it right what are your thoughts on that yeah, um, I'll give you an example of one one solution I've used several times, and I'm sure there are many, many uh, competitors that do the same, but it gets back to uh, approximately 20 behavioral attributes. And what's really cool, if you just go into an organization, let's say an organization says, hey, I really want to focus on these five roles. These five roles represent 80, 90 percent of my employee base. Uh, what you can do is, even if it's subjective, have the leadership team say, you know, what are your top 2% or 5%, whatever, the top 5% of your whatever technician role, let's call it. What you can do is have them take this personality assessment 
and eight groups. So we all know, hopefully we can agree, these are the top 2% or 5%. This is what the profile looks like. And it's a one to 10 spectrum, mm -hmm. 10 is not better than one, et cetera. And what you see with that is when, as you look for future uh, candidates for these roles, if you see a tight, let's say it's a seven, eight, is the spread of the top two or 5%. What that means is anything outside of that seven or eight is a stress point. Doesn't mean that someone that's that's lower than seven or higher than eight can't do it, but it does mean that if they really, the more they stray from that on that particular behavioral attribute, uh, it's gonna be a stress point. So if you think about sales mm -hmm. and extrovert, if you're, a, if you're a straight up one on the introvert scale and you're in uh, cold call sales or door-to-door -door sales, that's a great example of that's that's going to be really stressful for that individual. Doesn't mean that that individual can't do it, et cetera. And and then you're really looking. That's to me. That's really no different than if you want Cisco certification or a certain electrical license. Those hard skill things. We look at that all the time. We look at that on resume. We mm -hmm. ask those questions in interviews. Um, and and if we believe kind of what I learned across the globe, uh, what I said earlier. The more important thing is these personality things, uh, the behavioral piece. So, uh, kind of leading from the front and taking, you know, even 50% of the same rigor we put into the hard skills into the soft skills, it really can be easy to measure and think about. Um, and it's also blind. You know, a lot of companies, thankfully, are starting to really think about uh, their diversity, inclusion, uh, 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 unconscious bias, things like that what behavioral assessment is, is, you know, it, it doesn't care mm -hmm. what gender or color, et cetera, that you are. These are the, this is the truth about that person. And then you can make decisions based on what, what works from a personality perspective. Uh, so it kind of can help mm -hmm. depending on how you use it in those areas as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So going back to the point about, you know, from a leadership perspective, intent versus what action looks like today, um, you know, we talked about like people are, some people are more comfortable talking about balance sheets than they are organizational psychology. Um, now, obviously balance sheets are important, right? Uh, so, so no one's saying, um, to, to ignore that, but how do we, how do we, um, I guess upskill or help our leaders be more comfortable with these conversations, these topics, and and really, you know, help them to take appropriate actions that match that intent. Yeah, depending on your setup, if you have the luxury of having some training budget for leaders, what I would say is look for, I think it's most important that you do something together as a leadership team, as opposed to if you have 12 leaders, each one going for themselves, What's really ideal and has a profound ripple effect is to take them all through the same thing together. They have, have the same vernacular, et cetera. Then they start leading from the front and then cascade it into the organization. That's the most powerful approach. Uh, I would just suggest uh, not a certain name or company, but what I would suggest is find something that's not focused on business administration, rather mm -hmm. focused on how to understand people, how to motivate people, how to have uh difficult conversations with people you know when you look at the curricula or the syllabus um those are the kind of things you're looking for not the kind of business administration piece um that's 
that's quite different. If you can't get that, if you can't get that training, there there are so many, depending on how you like, there's books on Audible, there's uh, YouTube free videos of some fantastic um, uh, 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 different podcasts, et cetera, that you can get these sound bites and, uh, you know, books that you can read, you know, for very inexpensive, you know, to even free, you can really educate yourself, you know, and it's a grind. What I would say is it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. and it's just like any habit, you know, whether it's trying to go to the gym and you haven't been going to the gym, it's a grind. You have to commit yourself to it. And what I suggest to leaders that are really serious about it, uh, find four hours a week and treat that four hours like um, a religion that during those four mm-hmm. hours, it's it's you're going to block off all communication unless it's an absolute real emergency. And for those four hours, you're going to work on yourself in, in these specific mm-hmm. areas. And that may look different to you and me and someone else. So uh, I think that's that's the part. Just get into the grind four hours a week or whatever you can uh, afford to, to give. And then all of a sudden you'll look up six months later and it's become a it's become natural. It's become part of your day to day routine. And then B, you've you've grown you've learned and you're thinking it's more front of mind than way, way back here. So therefore you'll be more comfortable in those conversations. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you'll find yourself when you're conversing with your employees or your managers of employees, et cetera, you'll, you'll have these thoughts come out because that's what you, what's relevant on your mind. You're, you're reading about it. You're consuming uh, podcasts, et cetera. These are on the front of your mind now. So therefore it's going to be on your employees and managers, et cetera. So, it's just a grind you mm-hmm. got to set up and go after, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, an important point is, you know, some portion of that disconnect between intent and action is really comes back to, you know, default to comfort level. If you don't make it mandatory, if you don't put parameters around it, you're just going to get sucked back into what you know, or what the demands are of the day, the week, et cetera. And the same goes for employees, right? Like going back to the the learning and development. I mean, if they log on and the technical courses are mandatory and they're at the top, then they'll do them and move on. If the soft skills stuff is at the bottom and optional, you know, you're not doing anything as an organization to really force, gently force some of that change. So. I think it's a good point of, you know, making it as mandatory as possible, making it measurable and, you know, making that commitment. And for a company that really wants to evolve, you know, to some degree doing that by, you know, subset of leaders, right? And like you said, trickle down. Um, I'm not gonna ask you to name like your top or anything, cause I don't wanna put you on the spot in terms of like, what's the best, but just to share some of your, um, you know, personal sources, like, is there anything that comes to mind when you think of good books you've read, Audible, podcasts, et cetera, like anything you would name for folks to check out? Um, yes, including a company is okay. Sure. Uh, there's a company out of Florida called Adept, A-D-E-P-T-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've worked with them over a lot of different years, different companies, totally different groups. Uh, and I've, I've found, I find their approach to be the best 
best I've ever worked with. It's it's highly immersive, and it's it's a long term. Typically, your your shortest term is six months. So as a leadership mm-hmm. team, you know whoever goes through it goes through it together for six months. Every two weeks, uh, you have a session. I, I think that's a really powerful approach because it's way better than let's say uh, other things. Even if it's the same content to go for a week. Um, you know, you get you get kind of immersed for a week, but then you go back, and it's so easy to fall back into your, your BAU um, books. Uh, I did read the mindset uh, mindset recently. Um, I do find that to be very powerful because if you think about, it's the first book I believe that's been written on just the mindset, uh, as I understand it. Um, I think that might be one of the most important pieces of. You know, if you think about character, who a person is, etc. Um, another thing I would say, just that's very practical. You were talking about, you know, mandatory training and things. I agree with that. Whatever you focus on, I had uh, 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 one of my mentors said one time, leadership focus is like fish food to fish. Wherever you focus, the fish will come. Like the, and that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. So. If, if you're in most people, probably they're listening to your podcast or leaders of leaders. And uh, if, if in your staff meeting, ops meeting, whatever you call your meetings, your cadence, if you're talking about the finances and all these things, if you're not talking about leading, coaching and developing, if you're not spending at least five minutes of, of that time, every single time you talk on these, these soft skills and all that, you cannot expect the organization to adopt and make some of these pivots. So that's one really mm-hmm. free, it's a free thing to do is just talk about it. And even if it's clunky uh, at first and awkward, you know, for that five minutes each meeting that you're having every week, that's okay. It, you got to start wobbly mm-hmm. legs and kind of uh, clunky at first. And then all of a sudden it will come more advanced and people read and become more informed and educated and comfortable thinking about it. So that's an easy free way uh, to do it as well. Yeah, that's good. Um, so we said at the beginning, you know, your role is really to look five, 10 years out and think about, you know, what are, what's coming, what challenges are coming, what opportunities, um, et cetera. And so when you think about that viewpoint and and the things that you look at day to day, and then what needs to evolve from a leadership perspective, what what are your thoughts on what needs to happen, how things will need to change, um, you know, how the gap will close or continue to, you know, widen? What what comes to mind when you think about how the the topics you're looking at from a strategic perspective match to what we need from leaders going forward? Yeah, I think um, if you think about the pyramid, um, it's going to turn upside down. We're, we're going to move toward, uh, some people call it the gig economy, uh, where it's transaction based. And what does that really mean? That really means that the human doing the work, the human that has the knowledge, skill and ability that's performing the given task and work is in control. And it's not uh, any longer a matter of you work for me at my company as a W-2 and therefore you just go do what I say. Those days will evaporate. And what we will be Mm -hmm. left with is uh, 
if we want, if Sarah is a top 2% performer and I'm representing a company as a leader that, and I want the top 2%, I'm going to have to use honey, not a, not, not, um, a stick, you know, we're, we're going to have to be the most attractive, desirable. We're going to have to have a brand that people are drawn to that connect with their hearts, not just their minds. And it's going to have to, we're going to have to do the work. We're going to have to be the most attractive to, uh, people that have the knowledge, skill, ability, the top talent. It's not going to be a, we'll pay you a little bit more and demand you to do crazy things or whatever. Uh, so we're going to have to fundamentally change. Some people are kind of further ahead on that spectrum than others, but this whole, you know, 1980s type of leadership where you just kind of put your fist down on the desk and demand of your employees, those people are the dinosaurs of leadership and either they mm -hmm. need to change completely or they will be uh, uh, obsolete. Um, that That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I see some, some companies, I think Ericsson's uh, at the front of that uh, for sure, uh, leading by example. And I see other companies and it, sometimes it's the smaller field services companies that, you know, they're looking at three ring binders instead of using technology. And also their leadership style is very much 1980s uh, fist on the mm -hmm. desk kind of thing. Um, so it's just, it's a, it's an eye opener. I think for leaders to think about how are you leading? Um, because if you think about leading just by definition, if you look it up in Webster, whichever dictionary you choose, um, it's not about mandating. That's not what leading is about. Mm -hmm. It's about influencing people, uh, which requires buy-in, et cetera. So that's what I would throw out there for the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's very well put. Um, and I could not agree more. So thank you for that, Jason. Thank you for your insights. I really appreciate you joining me and, uh, sharing your perspective today. So thanks for being here. Happy to. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you can find more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. I want to remind you that the Future of Field Service Insider is uh, now live and you can subscribe on the website. That is um, a newsletter of sorts where we deliver all of the latest content to your inbox every other week as long along with some exclusives. Um, registration is also open for the Future of Field Service 2023 live tour. So we will be in six countries, um, various dates throughout the year. So have a look and register for the location nearest you. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at IFS.com. As always, thank you for listening.